you have an amazing time as you get to know the Lord yourselves. Give them a chance to depart so we can start talking about them. Okay. All right. So a few weeks ago, we started a little series called Let My People Go. And I explained at the time, and I don't know how, how well I explained it, but the, the premise of this topic is for us to understand what ministry should look like, how it should flow, how it should uh, take place in your life and among us, for the sake of others. And so in the very first week, we talked about the oppression of God's people. Now, God uses the oppression in, a, in our lives, in our workplace, in our families, uh, in our circumstances. He uses that oppression for many reasons, but usually simply just to get our attention, to, to make us cognizant of the fact that we need God's help. All right? God doesn't want us going arrogantly through this life with no needs or concerns. He just simply wants us to need him. And so he allows us to fall on our faces so that when we do so, that we'll reach out to him and cry out for help. We also talked about in the second week that when we cry out for help, that he listens to those cries. And it it troubles him deeply when we are troubled. It moves him greatly when we are moved. And so God wants to, because of his compassion for us, he wants to intervene in our lives, and he wants to make our lives better. And he is so good at it. And then last week, we talked about the fact that the way that God answers those prayers is by raising up a deliverer, raising up someone, just a normal person like you and me. He raises us up. Sometimes from even before we're born or hatched into this world, he's already at work anointing us and and stirring us and knitting us together in such a way that our compassion would be perfect for the situation of those who he sends us to. And so this is very, very important stuff. This is what ministry should should look like. Now here's the catch. When God raises up a deliverer, Just like you and me, we need to understand that in most cases, he's referring to you and me. If God's going to raise up a deliverer in your life, there's a good chance he might raise up one of us to be the answer to your prayer. And if if you're going through a difficult time, he might use, or if, if I'm going through a difficult time, he might use one of you or all of you to help me in my crisis. And so we have to see the scriptures in that humility recognizing that I'm just as significant as Moses is. I could, I could deliver people out of their bondage just like he did, simply because I have the power of God in me, I have his anointing upon me, and his calling in my life. This may be difficult for some. Now, let me just back up a little bit. I, I, I've studied this and studied this for the last few, few weeks. And, and it's very possible that I could overwhelm you with all of the stuff that I want to say to you. But I want to back up and just talk to you for a little bit. Now, Paige and I went to a, a, a conference this past week, the North American Christian Convention, which is all the Christian churches in North America. We all come together, pastors, laity, elders, uh, people who are just interested in what we're doing. They don't know anything about us, so they come anyway. And so we got together, probably around 4,000, that's the number they kept referencing, 
uh, 4,000 of us in one setting, and it was really, really an amazing time. But one of the things that I reflected on ever since we left is that it was also very depressing. It was depressing in the fact that while we're there, we heard the most amazing preaching you would ever hear. Unfortunately, you don't get that here. <laughs> Every once in a while, you might get one line that, that penetrates your, your heart. But for the most part, it's, it's just not what some of these guys do. The, the music was overwhelmingly impressive. From start to finish, it was absolutely flawless. And when you have a church that's so big, they have all professional musicians and singers in their band, and they're interchangeable. Two of them walk off the stage, two more come on, and they come back and they go on. And this happened the whole week. Incredible music. And then I sit there and I think, we have iTunes. And, and, and then we go to these classes where these incredible professors are teaching us about the scriptures and how to apply them to our lives. And I'm thinking, you know, it's just not the same here. And it can be very depressing. To add to that, I will tell you this. This is a confessional part. Is that, you know, in the beginning of ministry, I had this attitude. If nobody else is going to do it, I'll do it. And what happened is I ended up doing most things. My first church, I really was the janitor. And I didn't know the first thing about plumbing. I was a carpenter. I was, I was a, a, a lot more things than I ever wanted to be. Counselor, friend, uh, pulled weeds, cooked, things that I just had no business doing. But I would do everything and anything that had to be done for the sake of the church. And the problem is, is that the people in the church let me do everything. The downside to that is that when I left those churches, the ministry left also. I didn't learn my lesson the first time. I went to the second church and I did the same things again. Went to the third church, did the same things again. I've always done that. I've always just done everything myself. I have run the Bible school program at two different churches, and that doesn't mean I want you to quit. I've done the youth group now at three churches because no one else wanted to do it or no one else felt like they could. I've, done, I've, I've led the worship. I've, I've selected the music. I've put it together, the slides. I've produced it. Things I, I shouldn't be doing, I've done it and all these churches. But coming here, I, I'd had this desire, I'm not going to do it this time. A friend of mine who's a missionary in Haiti, uh, uh, Larry Owens, some of you may know Larry, a lot of the churches around here have been there. Larry told me one time, you, you have it a lot harder than I do. And I'm like, okay, Larry, how's that possible? You're living in Haiti where it's 100,000 degrees every day. How is it harder for me? And he said, whenever I see a, a shovel laying on the ground, I pick it up and I start digging because I don't have time to wait for somebody else to do it. But when you're a pastor, you're trying to build a church. You can't pick that shovel up because you don't teach anybody anything by doing it yourself. And I said, good point. The pastor's job is to build a church. We lead by example, but our job is to build a church. My problem is this, is that coming in the last couple of years, my health has not been well. 
I keep having one thing after another after another. I just don't have the energy. I just don't have the ability. And so the things that I normally would do myself, I can't do right now. I want to do them, but I'm just struggling to do it. And I think that's God's plan. I don't think God wants me doing everything because, like the saying goes, if you give a fish to a a person, you can feed them a meal. But if you teach them how to fish, you can feed them for a lifetime, right? You've heard that. And so I believe that God wants me to lead, guide, and direct, but he doesn't want me doing everything. That's very difficult, especially when there's things that need to be done. And that's why this passage and this this whole series is very important because it, it basically affirms to me I'm not supposed to do everything. Moses wanted to do everything himself. And later, in several chapters later, Jethro, his father-in-law, is going to pull him aside and say, Brother, you need to quit doing all of this. You're going to burn yourself out. You're going to kill yourself. You need to take the important things and, and divvy up the smaller things for everybody else to do. But don't think that you're supposed to be doing everything. Well, this, this isn't easy. But this is truth. This is what it's all about. And so understand, and I'm not trying to, to, I'm not trying to convict you. That's the Holy Spirit's job. I'm not trying to step on toes. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just trying to say the way the scriptures have, have been blessed in my life, it basically implies that God has given every single one of you a gift and an ability. He has given you an assignment. He has called you to something that's bigger and better than yourself. And it's, a, it's a, an assignment that only you can fulfill. I can't fulfill it. I can do my best, but I, I can't fulfill it. He is, he's called you. He has knit you together in the womb for this particular task. And now he's, he's sending you. And, and so what are we going to do about it? The topic today is our response. God has called us, but what is our good response? The basic, the basic premise is this. Our response should be willingness, humility, and obedience. That's what we should be doing. Again, I, I, I just say this uh, because it needs to be said. You will never find a verse in scriptures that imply that once you reach a certain age, you can retire from ministry. It's not in the Bible. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say that once you get a physical ailment or even a a disability, never are you exempt from the Lord's work. Clergy, teachers, servers, sword swallowers, it doesn't matter. Every one of us who has been birthed into this world for a purpose are not exempt from that calling until the day the Lord calls us home. So why is it then that so many churches have 20% of the people doing 80% of the work? Either it's because we don't know or because we just don't want to. If we look at this passage, beginning in verse 11, God has made it very clear, I have already gone to the people myself, but I'm calling you to be my instrument of deliverance. 
I've already gone. My presence is ahead of you. My strength and my power, my anointing has gone ahead of you. Once you come into view, then all of that is yours and at your disposal. So you can use my authority, my power, my ability, and my compassion. You can use everything that I am and have. I will put it upon you, and you can go and do the work that I need you to do for the sake of those who are being oppressed. And so he waits for us to say, okay, I'm good, I'm ready, send me, I'm ready to go. But that doesn't always happen. In verse 11, Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that you should send me? I'm nothing special. I have no special ability. I don't have money. I don't have education. I don't have you fill in the blank. I don't have what you are telling me that I have. And what God wants to convey to you is you have enough. You have exactly what I've given you. You have everything you need to get the job done. And then when you have your ability and you have a desire and a willingness, I will take you the rest of the way. I'll give you the things you don't have, and you can call it yourself. You can call it your own. And together we'll make this happen. But then in verse 12, God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. Uh, And in verse 13, Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites, and I tell them the God of your fathers has sent me, but they say to me, what is his name? Now, I want to think about this for a minute. The fact that Moses says, who am I? And secondly, he says, who are you? Basically, what Moses is saying is, I don't have a, an ongoing relationship with God. I don't know God, but yet he's calling me into ministry? I have no relationship with him. I have no history with God, but yet he still wants me to serve him? What's that all about? You see, there's a lot of people, and I was in the exact same boat. When God called me to be a preacher, I was like, yeah, I was raised in church, but I never paid attention. I don't know the Bible. I don't even like people. I'm an introvert. Why would you call me into ministry, God? I don't know you. And it was like the answer was, but I'm confident if you will do this, you're going to get to know me. So knowing God and understanding God and knowing your Bible, that's never an excuse. God just wants your willingness to serve him. God will do the rest You don't qualify yourself by knowing God or knowing the Bible. You qualify yourself by just saying, here am I, send me. The other thing that stands out to me in this passage is that God is saying to him, I'm going to send you to Israel. I'm going to send you to the Israelites. And if you go down to verse 16, he says this, Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, has sent me. I have watched over you. I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise to bring you up out of Egypt and into this promised land that I have promised to your forefathers. So so this is what God is saying. I am sending you, Moses, an outsider. You have very small connections to these people, the Israelites, because you are a Hebrew by birth. But you have nothing to do. You have no relationship with your own people. You are an outsider. But I'm sending you as an outsider to your people, to the elders of your people who are not outsiders. 
These elders have been with them through the muck and the mire. They've been there with the suffering. They've been there from the beginning and the end. They have seen everything they've been through. They've gone through it with them. Those elders are the ones who really should be the leaders because they have been there from the beginning. But Moses is being sent as an outsider to go to those elders to work with them for the sake of the people. Now, let me explain what that means, basically. I can take this personal. God called me to come to Port Byron, a town I had never, ever been in my life. He called me to this church and said, lead them. There's a group of elders there who have been there from the beginning. They're the ones who are in control. They're the ones who have, who have been among them and have suffered with them and have gone through this history with them. But you're going to go as an outsider and work with those elders. And together, it says you're going to go to the king and you're going to demand the release of my children. It's hard when you're an outsider to come into the picture and to start saying, well, this is what we should do, and I think this is what we should do. Typically, typically, the elders will say, who are you? And so we who are called and sent into this ministry are in a position where we really have to prove ourselves. Basically, what people want to know is, who are you to say you're our pastor. Did you get your degree from Kmart? Did you get it from a, from a vetted seminary? Have you done this before? Do you have any experience doing this? Or are you just going off the cuff saying, you know what sounds good? Let's try this. And so it puts us in a very peculiar situation where we feel like we have to prove ourselves. And so this is what we sweat about. This is what we stress over. Lord, please, you must go with me. If they don't see evidence that you're in me and working through me, then this is going to be a complete and total bust. I need your help. I need your assurance that you're with me. And this is what Moses was complaining about. What am I going to do if they start to question me? What am I going to do if they don't believe me? What am I going to do if they just just contradict the things I'm trying to say? And God says this, and we can find a a summary of this in in chapter uh, 4, verse 10. Actually, uh, verse 8 and 9, sorry. And the Lord says, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, then they might believe the second sign. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, and the water you take from the river will become blood on the land. So basically, God is saying this to Moses. I'm going to keep doing things through you that you could never do by your own strength. And when those things happen, people are going to know that I'm working through you. In one translation, it actually says, people will know that I favor you. Now, this is not just for Moses to understand. This is for every single one of us who have been purposed in this world to do some sort of ministry in the Lord's kingdom. In this church, whatever God is calling you to, maybe 
maybe apart from being the janitor or the groundskeeper, you know, because those you could probably do without a lot of supernatural ability. Unless, of course, you have no physical strength or ability to begin with, and maybe then God still has to help you. And I, well, I guess I should say this. Not everybody can, can, can trim a bush and make it look like a bush when you're done. All right? I don't have that gift. When I'm done, it just looks like some kind of a nub sticking out of the ground. It's just not attractive. But for, for, for most of us, the only way we're going to be accomplished, what God wants us to accomplish, is by pouring his spirit in us and through us for the sake of those around us. Now, maybe because we're a small church, we don't have enough jobs for everybody. I guess that's possible. But that doesn't mean, if that's the case, that you're off the hook. Because you should all be ministers, at least, to your neighborhood or to your family. All of you should be actively pursuing the lost for the kingdom of God, sharing your faith with them, telling them about Jesus. To the best of your ability, you should be doing that. And yeah, you can't do that by your own strength. God has to do that through you as well. It's like the scriptures talk about, we're, we're, our job is to sow seeds, and we take the seeds, and we, we spread them liberally. Wherever we can, we just throw seeds everywhere, seeds of the gospel, right? And we have to keep in mind, only God can make those seeds grow, and he's going to make them grow in his, in his season, in his timing. But our job is to be faithful and just to spread that seed as liberally as we can for anyone who would be interested. Just keep spreading the seed. But the fact that some, so many of us have never seen a person that we have prayed for or witnessed to come to faith, we would have to assume that we've been doing it without God's help. Whenever I was a Methodist, one of the interesting stats was is that 60% of all Methodist churches, and I'm sure this is again across every denominational barrier, 60% of all churches never have a single profession of faith annually. They're all dying. They're shriveling up and they're dying. But can you imagine being a church and going an entire year with not one person coming to faith? Either God is impotent or his people aren't fulfilling the calling. Because even a blind squirrel can find one acorn. Even, even a blind church can find one person and bring them through the baptistry. So how is it possible that so many churches aren't living up to it? Obedience is very important. Now, if we're a church that talks about obedience all the time without grace... We're legalistic, and people don't want a legalistic church. We just can't be legalistic. We have to smother them with grace and kindness and love and then teach them the truth in, in correlation to grace. Grace without obedience is just Joel Osteen, right? 
you got to have a little bit of both. You got to have the truth of the scriptures. You got to have grace and compassion. You put them together and now you have a loving witness that has the ability to change a person's life. Let me tell you something about obedience. This, this past week, while we were at the conference, Tuesday night, we're sitting through the worship service, and I felt God talk to me very clearly. And, and God asked me to do something that I was not interested in doing. Some of you may have heard the name Gene Apple. I always said it was Gene Appel. Gene Apple is a pastor of one of the top 20 churches Christian churches in the nation. He's already taken two churches to like five or 6,000 members. I've never known Gene. I've never met him. I've seen his name in the, in the Christian standard every month, but I've never met him. And, and when we got there, I actually ran into him two or three times. It's like we come out of the bathroom, there he is. We go into the kitchen, there he is. You know, whatever it is, there he is. Two or three times we ran into him. And at the service that night, God spoke to me very clearly and said, you need to bless him. And I didn't know what that meant, but I knew I didn't want to do it. So when we got back to the room, we were talking, and she says, well, this is what I think God was saying to me tonight. And I said, well, this is what God said to me. And she's like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> but as I got up in the morning, and we went to the morning session, and, and I sat there, and... Um, God confirmed, I want you to give him your blessing. And I knew by then why this was important. And I'm not going to tell you why until I just tell you that, that Tuesday afternoon we went to a class that we were interested in uh, on struggling churches. At the time, uh, we weren't curious as to who was leading it. But go figure, Gene Apple was leading the, the conversation. And so we go into this huge ballroom, and he's there half an hour early. No speaker does that. No, they all show up the last minute, and they make a big, you know, da-da, here I am. But nope, there he was, out there getting ready. And so we were there, and we had uh, my friend uh, uh, Mike Rhodes, chaplain in the Army. He was with us, and, and then he had a chaplain friend join us which was an interesting connection because he knew Paige's brother. Um, Paige's brother replaced him at the chaplain school. So the four of us are sitting there, and here comes Gene. He's out introducing people. He walks up to the table. I had told her earlier, if the opportunity arises, I will give him a blessing. But that's never going to happen, right? And so here comes Gene off the stage, walks straight up to our table. He, he greets Mike. He comes around to me, and I just say, look, there's a reason we're sitting in the front row, and I just want you to know this is very hard for me. And with tears in my eyes, I said, God wants me to bless you. And I said, because for all of my ministry, all 26 years of ministry, I've had an attitude about pastors like you who are very successful and have built these huge churches and I said, I'm just bitter and jealous about pastors like you. And so I said, is it okay if I bless you? And he said, go for it. And so I put my hand on his shoulder and I prayed for him and I gave him the best blessing I could possibly give him. 
And afterwards he said, I am so happy to be in, in this job with you or in this, what? Yeah, something like that. And so the, the thing is, is that he left and I'll probably never, ever see him again. But it was important for me to give him a blessing saying, I'm releasing you from this bondage that I have held you to, even though I don't know you. And I need to be released from this attitude towards you. And afterwards, I looked at Paige and I looked at Mike and I said, you know, I feel good. I feel like I was obedient to what God called me to do. Obedience is not always fun. But God wants us to be obedient. It might be to forgive somebody. It might be to bless somebody. And it might be to serve somebody. But I really believe this. I believe that God has called all of us to something. That he has gifted you for something. And that he is sending you to something. And he's just waiting for you to say, here am I, send me. I'm finally ready to go. You want me to invite my neighbor to church? I'm going to do so simply because you've asked me to be obedient. If you want me to witness to, to someone that I work with and to tell them about Jesus, I'm going to do so to the best of my ability simply because God has asked you to do it. If he wants you to go and knock on doors, do so just because he's asked you to. And, and so this is driving home. This is what I believe God is calling us to. I believe that for the next six months, and today just happens to be the first day of the next half of your life, the next half of your year. And I believe that God wants us for the next six months to just commit ourselves to being obedient to being lovingly, faithfully obedient to whatever he's asking you to do. If he wants you to go to church, go to church. If he's wanting you to teach Sunday school, teach Sunday school. If he's wanting you to come up here and stand on your head and sing the national anthem, then do so. If he's calling you to, to play piano, then play piano, whatever it is he's asking you to. But let's for the next six months, or six months, let's just put him to the test. Let's do whatever he asks of us. Let us just be humble and faithful and obedient, and let us do whatever he calls. We'll go wherever he sends. We'll love whoever he tells us to love. And let's just see what can happen in six months' time. You know, the, thing, the crazy thing of it is this, that yes, we are a very small country church. But today, when, when Mike comes to be baptized, he'll be the 25th person that we baptize in three years. That's 8.3333 average. Churches would give their left arm to have eight people baptized a year. God has been very good to us. He keeps showing himself to us. He keeps doing amazing things to us. And I, I just think, Lord, how many more people out there need to be baptized? Well, God's like, oh, please, no, don't wear me out here. There's so many that it's not even funny. But God's like, if you could just reach one more person than you've reached in the last year, then it will be a highly successful year. And we have the ability to do that because we have God who's gone ahead of us, who's given us the spirit, given us his power, his authority, his grace. And now we know that when we go into these places and say, you know what, I want to invite you to church, we know that they're going to listen to us. Because 
He's at work in us. Anyway, I'm out of breath. There's so much more I wanted to tell you, but we'll just have to save it till we get back from New Orleans, all right? But if you would join with me in prayer, I think that would be the next best step. Gracious Father, we humbly come into your presence. We submit to you, and we pray, Lord, whatever you've called us to, I pray that you'll help us to be obedient. I pray that you will make this calling very real in our lives. Make it very clear to us that this is what you're asking us to be or to do or where you're asking us to go. And Father, with that clear message, that clear calling, I pray that you will help us to be in agreement. Please move in us and through us for the sake of this dying world. It's not about the numbers, Lord. It's about the hurting, the oppressed who cry in their sleep every night that somebody would come and give them hope, that somebody would come and give them a meal, that somebody would come and hold their hands. Lord, that is what we want to answer to. Please move in us for the sake of those who are crying. This may be their last chance. In Jesus, we humbly pray. Amen. As Mike and I go and prepare, um, Wayne's going to come down. And-